Hello, I'm Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton, and I lead the Justice, Equity, and Opportunity Initiative. Welcome to my podcast series, Walk, Listen, Learn, Our Journey to Justice. Why a podcast? Well, I wanted to combine three things I love, walking, listening, and learning. As the title suggests, I'm also passionate about people and finding engaging ways to discuss issues. So thanks for joining me. In today's episode, we're going to talk about community organizing, and we'll specifically talk about organizing the community of people who have been impacted by the justice system and the importance of lifting up their voices and experiences as we make decisions about criminal justice reform. My guest today is Marlon Chamberlain. He is the project manager for the Alliance for Reentry at the Sanford Foundation. And in this role, he's responsible for developing a statewide alliance that advocates on behalf of people with arrest and conviction records. Marlon also has experience in policy advocacy for justice system impacted people and removing collateral consequences. Marlon brings over 20 years of lived and professional experience to his work at the Safer Foundation. Marlon, welcome to Walk, Listen, and Learn. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad that you are here, too. Um, I want you to know that my husband, Brian, who sort of kicked off this Walk, Listen, Learn, Our Journey to Justice podcast, is a community organizer. And so today we're talking about community organizing and um, just a little side note, um, our, what I consider Brian, when Brian and I had our first date, it was him teaching me about organizing and uh, him just saying, you know, you need to know these principles. And I was sitting there and listening to what he was talking about. And I was like, oh, I love this guy. I don't know if I quite was at the love stage yet, but it was just one of those moments when you realize when someone is passionate about something and really passionate about making a difference, what that means. And so I was excited that we are talking about community organizing and your work, uh, specifically with those that have been impacted by the justice system. So, you know, in Illinois, you know, we have a long history of community organizing. I, I thought back to the Springfield uh, race riots and how Ida B. Wells and W.E.B. Du Bois and others came together and organized to create the NAACP. And then in Chicago, of course, we know there's Jane Addams and Saul Alinsky and Fred Hampton and all across the state, communities where people have organized uh, around various aspects of justice, especially in the context of what we've been talking about in this podcast, things like housing and healthcare and juvenile justice and mental health and so much more. So what I want to start with is kind of like you're telling me from your perspective, mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a community organizer and kind of how did you get on this journey? So I'll start with the latter. Um, and I just, I remember sitting in, in federal prison in 2008 and watching uh, Barack Obama uh, become the first black president. Yeah. And two years after that, in 2010, the Fair Sentencing Act was passed which allowed my sentence to be reduced from 20 years to 14 years. Hmm. And so that was sort of like an introduction to me to community organizing because I had been reading like the fam magazines and seeing how directly impacted people 
were contributing to this piece of legislation that resulted in in hundreds of people uh, have like their sentence was reduced. And so after I was released in, uh, from federal prison in 2010, um, I sort of continued that journey. Like I was seeking out people who were actively involved in the community mm-hmm. that were looking to, to change policy. Um, and I met Eddie Boganegra, uh, yeah. who is now the senior director for Ready Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he sort of introduced me to community organizing. So he was my first first coach. Well, uh, I know Eddie. And so I know he's a great coach. Yep. So tell me, what do you mean when I, I know you're going to talk a little bit about sort of what does community organizing mean? But maybe as part of that, kind of go back mm-hmm. to when you saw at that time, President Obama in his election, you talked about people that you knew of that had helped bring that Fair Sentencing Act to life. Mm-hmm. How were people getting involved in that, and and what did you know about it at the time? So, so at the time, I really didn't know didn't know anything about it outside mm-hmm. of me reading the Fam magazines and sort of seeing people share testimonies of how they were sentenced to lengthy prison sentences for non-violent convictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just sort of like planted a seed to see like, wow, these people are actually in a magazine or meeting with elected officials yeah. and sharing their stories. And so it's- started- And these were typically people that were incarcerated or- So it was both. These were both. people that were incarcerated. You would see letters that yes. were written to FAM. Um, basically, what just, is FAM? Uh, families Against Mandatory uh, man, mandatory man, Minimum Sentences. Okay, Families Against Mandatory Minimum Sentences. Yep, yep, okay. Yep. And so, so what I think you're, what you're saying is, is that there are people who are in communities that are pushing for work, but there are also people, men and women, who might be in the system, in uh, corrections facilities, that are also pushing for change. Absolutely. And to not discount those voices. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would say also just like after I was released, like just being in the halfway house mm-hmm. and seeing like the 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 smiles and the happiness, like like you actually get to see like that, like the smiles go away because it's like reality sets in. I'm home now, I'm able to see my family, but now what am I gonna do? Yeah. And when people run into these barriers and they're told no, I would hear the stories of people coming back to the halfway house. And in my head, I was like, man, it has to be something that we can do. Uh, And so, like I said, Eddie would invite me to to meetings or events. And when I would show up, I don't know what it is. It was just like just my like instincts would say, I'm going to invite some people. And so when I would show up, I would show up with people. Right. And so people took notice of that and they started asking, like, like, how are you able to to turn out people like mm-hmm. this? And and at the time, I didn't even know myself uh, because I wasn't really familiar with like the, the community organizing language. Yeah. Uh, you, all you knew is that you knew that you were hearing these stories about barriers. You were getting invited to these meetings and you were like, come with me. Yep. And you were bringing people. And so is that organizing? So that that's one component of it. Okay. Um, I think organizing, and I like to use just the cardinal rules of organizing, which basically says never do for someone what they could do for themselves, and then mm-hmm. also deal with the world as it is, and not not as you 
not in the way that you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Meaning that instead of me trying to fix someone else's problem, I could bring people to trainings and meetings where they'll receive the resources and equipment, uh, I mean, and the, the skills that's needed for them mm -hmm. to address their own problems in their community. Absolutely. So you started going to these meetings with Eddie and you were bringing people. Mm -hmm. And I think you said at that time you weren't even sure what all these terms meant in the realm of community organizing. No. And so this journey for you kind of from there, where did it go? Like how did when did you kind of realize, you know what, I'm a community organizer? So at the time I had um, I started my own painting company. Um, and I was still in the halfway house. And so as I was turning people out to these different events, um, I remember Eddie ended up moving on to a different position. And so we were left without an organizer. And so the, the person that the director of, of organizing at the time, he kept saying at each one of our meetings, if anybody's interested and wants to apply, please do. Mm -hmm. And so I heard this maybe five or six times before I was driving home and something just hit me like, Marlon, you should apply. Mm -hmm. And so I, I sent the email and, and, and the rest was history. So after a year of volunteering with an organization and, and just acting as a leader, mm -hmm. um, I started like as a real like community organizer. What do you see as your role as a community organizer? You know, you talked about some of the values of organizing and we'll get into that a little more. Mm -hmm. What do you see as being the most critical things that you do as an organizer? So I would, I would say the, the job of an organizer is to build a powerful organization. Um, and so that, first and foremost, mm -hmm. is, is, is my job. That's my vision of what I want to do. But I think also within that is building relationships. Um, and I value people. And so it starts with, with something as simple as a one-on-one, -on -one, which is the, the, the number one tool of an organizer, right. which means that I schedule meetings with people just to learn more about them, their stories, and, and, and where they grew up, uh, the challenges that they face. So it starts with relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think we say in organizing that organizing is organizing people and also organizing money. Okay. You know, I there's a um, a lot of times you hear people talk about organizers and advocates. Mm -hmm. Are they the same? So in some ways, but no. Yeah. Um, a community organizer is, is a person who organizes the community and allows the community to speak for themselves. An advocate is more of a person who just speaks about issues, and, and we, we need both. Right. Uh, the community organizing piece, though, is really around like just like for a while, I wouldn't say anything. A lot of what I do is behind the scenes mm -hmm. of prepping leaders and allowing the community to speak for themselves. Well, you know, I love that because as a restorative justice practitioner and advocate, and I, you know, I talk about this in each one of our episodes, but we know that what we say in restorative justice, that the wisdom is in the room. Absolutely. And so this idea of it doesn't require someone outside of the community to speak for the community mm -hmm. or to solve the problems of the community. The community has the best ideas, the most creative solutions, the Absolutely. most innovative ideas about what needs to happen to solve the, the community's concerns or issues. Absolutely. And so in, in a lot of ways, like I think you've just illuminated for me that in many ways that is kind of tied, that that giving space for the community to speak for themselves and say what they want and not let have some some outside group define for that community what's best for them. That That is organizing. 
Wow. That is all. I think my husband taught me well. <laughs> he did a great job. <laughs> you know what? Let's talk a little bit about um, sort of what I would say are the values of organizing. I know that there is this technique that we hear of, of uh, in community organizing to align people's values and mm -hmm. self-interest to move them into action towards change. Yep. And you know, the way that I've learned it is sort of like if there's a line, mm -hmm. you're trying to get closer and closer to what you what that line is, which is what you want. Mm -hmm. So let's let's break that down a little bit more so that people who are listening can understand mm -hmm. how the mind of an organizer works. So the first one is it says like thinking about how to align people's values. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things are people's values that you work with um, as you do this work in the justice realm? Um, so I would definitely say faith uh, mm -hmm. and forgiveness, mm -hmm. uh, redemption, um, second chances. The, these are uh, some of the values because I work a lot of times in faith um, communities. Mm -hmm. And so which which is in alignment with with people coming home from prison because I think a lot of people after prison just want to move on with their life. Yeah. And so they've some, served their time. They've served their time and they're just ready to move on with their life and that's really like one of the like like grounding principles of a lot of a lot of just different faith communities. And that's interesting because when you think of faith communities, second chances seems to be sort of you know, in direct alignment to use that term again. So the idea of, you know, these values of, okay, now how do we help? You know, you said redemption. I mean, those seem to be all terms that you hear yeah. in the faith community, but also it sounds like for those who are justice impacted. Yeah. Yeah. And so then when you talk about self-interest, okay, mm -hmm. so we've got the, the um, values on one side and mm -hmm. then the self-interest, what are some things that come up for self-interest and whose self-interest are you talking about? So, so first I would say, even, even just beyond the second chances, I would say forgiveness because I mm. think that's important because some people need more than, than, than two chances. Some people were never given a chance. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would also say the self-interest and, and sort of how I sort of define it is like your vocation, like what you feel like you've been called to do on this earth. Hmm. Um, I also think about self-interest as something that you go to sleep thinking about or when you wake up in the morning, like, what are you thinking about? Like the first thing when you open your eyes. Um, I also just think about like myself being in relationship with others who shared similar values. And so and and the last thing I would say about self-interest is self-interest is your specific vision for the world but it also defines your specific role. Yeah. So I could have a vision for how I want to see the world, but I have a specific role that I play to help mm -hmm. bring that, that vision into fruition. Absolutely, I, I think that that's every person, that we all play a role. And I love that even around the space of organizing because I often think about, you know, in think about like criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. There are some people who are going to be teachers. Mm -hmm. There are some people who are going to be organizers. Yeah. Others will be advocates. Yeah. Some will be elected officials yeah. and policymakers. But to get where we need to go, you need all of the different Absolutely. perspectives and roles and voices Absolutely. at the table. Absolutely. And so, so when you talk about then aligning the values with the self-interest, mm -hmm. What does that look like in the realm of organizing? And maybe you even have a couple of, if you can share just even some, oh, some examples, like what does that look like to say, I'm making progress? Or maybe there's a time that you thought, 
where we're starting is so far from where we're trying to go, but look at how much we're moving towards that line. Oh, absolutely. I, I would say just my journey as an organizer, mm -hmm. um, just thinking back to, to working with churches and I can remember several times where we traveled to Springfield. Uh, and We met in Springfield. We, we met in Springfield. <laughs> and, and so we would travel to Springfield um, with, with a large group of people, all with the, the same goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we passed the, the largest ceiling bill in Illinois um, that expanded the number of, of, of convictions that could be sealed. Mm -hmm. But that work didn't, wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for like the churches meeting with their respective elected officials and asking them to sign on as a sponsor. Um, that work wouldn't have happened if we didn't host listening sessions to learn, like, what are some of the biggest barriers that people face as they transition out of prison? Um, that wouldn't have let, happened. You know, Marlon, I want to take it from there because mm -hmm. I want to kind of think about this as a process mm -hmm. because it sounds like what you're saying is there are a lot of pieces to the puzzle. You don't just end up with a bill being passed uh -uh. or legislation being signed into law uh -uh. You, or a bill being signed into law, I should say. Mm -hmm. So you start with listening. Yep. Start with listening. That's first. And what at that point you're just trying to understand understand the issue, what what challenges do people face? Mm -hmm. And and this is let, let me go back. This is like directly impacted individuals sitting in a room with lawyers, elected officials, um policy and advocacy folks, like just sitting in a room and saying, okay, let's look at the statutes. Mm -hmm. Let's look at what laws are in place. What could we amend? Do we have to create a new one? So all of this is, is included with the, the listening process. And then from listening, what what is happening for the organizer from there? I know that mm -hmm. policymakers and lawyers and others may take their role as in the legislative process. What's mm -hmm. the role of the organizer? You've heard, mm -hmm. you know the issues, it's been lifted up. Mm -hmm. What are you gonna do now? So then I think that's when, when we begin to think about strategy, which mm -hmm. is really influenced by like our values and self-interest. And so uh, depending on like after we, the, as the organizer, I would do a power, power analysis to see what is it going to take for us to push this bill through? Uh, and we have to do an honest assessment of where do we have power? Do we have churches? I was going to say, what's the power analysis? <laughs> uh, the po I, I, yeah, what's the, the power analysis? So the power analysis is just seeing who are we in relationship with and who are we not? Mm. Um, who's the opposition? And can we schedule a meeting to talk to them? And what communities do we need to target to start building relationships so that we can then maybe flip this legislator and begin to build a relationship um, but there's a lot that goes into to looking at uh, a power analysis. Yeah. And so it's interesting just thinking about um, as a former legislator or now in the executive branch and you see things get done, mm -hmm. those kinds of relationships, the taking the time to get to know people and to know what's happening in one community or another and where there might be, as I always like to think about it as a, when I was a legislator, where might there be some common ground. Absolutely. That you might not see my issue my way, but I've heard you talk about something that's related. Maybe we can kind of come together on that. Is that kind of what you mean? I, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's really what birth, uh, even in my role now as the project manager for the Alliance for Reentry, mm -hmm. which is statewide. So the goal is to start building those relationships statewide so that we could educate people across the, across the state around what the challenges are. 
um, because I found even in, in Springfield from just talking to different legislators, we learn from one another because sometimes there is just ignorance around, I didn't realize that this could cause this. Absolutely. Or, or sometimes it's, it's around pushing people uh, to think outside the box around like just reentry or even as people transition home, what laws do we currently have in place that are hindering people from moving on with their life? So a lot of it is just relationship building um, and, and talking to people from both sides of the aisle. If we could talk more and listen more, we could get so much more done. Absolutely. You know, I think about when I was running the uh, bill to end school-based booking stations mm -hmm. when I was a state rep. And I remember talking to one of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle and I said, you know, when I think about schools, um, we do not need rooms for students to be processed, to be arrested, because that's only going to funnel them into the school to prison pipeline. Yeah. And all of these schools where there were school-based booking stations were located in the city of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, what are we gonna do if we don't have these school-based booking stations? I said, exactly what you do in your district. But it was just that moment of realizing, you know, him having to realize, uh, and me is, to be quite frankly, to be quite frank, I had to realize he didn't, his schools didn't have these rooms. Mm -hmm. And then he had to realize there is another way of doing it. Absolutely. But because we had that conversation, we were able to get on the same page and he was able to offer his support. Absolutely. So the power of talk, you know, communication, listening, mm -hmm. talking, sharing, getting in a room and being able to say, here's what the deal is, is always powerful. And the most powerful tool of organizing, I imagine, is communication and relationships. Absolutely, yeah. Now I wanna talk a little bit, you know, as we kind of close out um, about how you support people who are directly impacted by the justice system. I know that this is something that you are extremely passionate about. You talked a little bit today about how that was really how you got your start listening and looking at that magazine, the FAMS magazine, and saying, wow, this is powerful. People are using their voices to create change. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that first um, from the standpoint of why it's so important, especially as it relates to criminal justice efforts. But then I also want to talk about um, just a little bit about how you utilize some of these organizing tools um, to really, I don't want to say give a voice to communities because I, I've, I've always said that it's not that people are voiceless, it's mm -hmm. that sometimes people just aren't listening or they're not creating space mm -hmm. for those voices. Mm -hmm. But there are people who don't often feel heard mm -hmm. or feel valued and I would suggest, and I don't want to be presumptuous, but I would assume that many times as all this policy is being made about criminal justice reform, mm -hmm. that people who are directly impacted mm -hmm. don't always feel like their voices are included in that conversation. Absolutely. So Absolutely. What, what, how do you approach that? So I think for me, um, and, and there's a quote uh, from Glenn Martin that says, those of us that are closest to the, pro to the problem are closest to the solution, yep. but lack the resources and power to implement those solutions. So, so my goal is really to introduce people to the, the skill of organizing. And, and with that, that is a tool that they could begin to use to then organize their community. Because I think, I think you're absolutely right. As a person with a record, a lot of times we feel voiceless or we don't feel like we're a part of the process. Um, 
and even when you look at the process, sometimes it could just it could look vague or it could look scary or overwhelming. And mm-hmm. I think when people actually um, and just a quick story, I remember like like bringing people to Springfield and prior to, this was like early on in my my community organizing days where I thought I had to teach people everything. And what happened was people would show up to Springfield and the learning would happen because mm-hmm. we're taught about vote, vote. But what we're not taught is what happens after we vote. Absolutely. How do you begin to, to build relationships with your elected officials and mm-hmm. then hold them accountable to what they said they would do once they're in office? And so I think for me, when I started seeing like the light click on, uh, when people would show up to meetings and show up to Springfield, for me, it was about my job is just to get people to show up. Right. And and whatever capacity that is, if, if it's showing up to a town hall meeting and then encouraging that person to share, to talk, to mm-hmm. speak up, um, that that is my job. And, and then whatever I can do, like in, in community organizing, we say anything worth doing is worth evaluating. And so it's at the end of each action mm-hmm. that we debrief and we start to, to draw out the lessons of like what happens. See what happens when we use our voice. Right. See what happens when we show up to meetings and we help drive policy that we know works because we've experienced it. So it's about just getting them to the table and then allowing that person to use their voice to to bring about change. You know, I want to close just because I'm feeling this, that there has to be a time that either for you personally or for someone who is directly impacted that you've worked with on, on in organizing, where there was this moment when you saw the joy of what happens when you come together, oh, speak yeah. your truth, and get something done. Oh, yeah. Can you can you even I don't want to put you on the spot, oh, but can yeah. you think of a moment when it was just like, oh, yeah. see, this is what happens. And you saw that celebration. No, absolutely. And I almost came to tears just thinking about it. But we, me, too, because I'm th- when you were talking, that's how I felt. Go ahead. We we have been working on the ceiling bill for a while. And um, when it when the, that bill passed on the House floor, mm-hmm. I forget which state rep it was, but they turned around and they celebrated the efforts that our coalition had put in to move that bill through. Yeah. Um, and so I remember all of us sort of celebrating and crying and yeah. hugging, but I also remember being in my car listening to um, a committee meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I for- And I forgot which bill we had in committee, and we were struggling to move this bill out of committee. Um, and in that particular uh, uh, instance, I couldn't go. So I remember listening in my car and when the ba- the bill passed through committee, I had to pull over because, mm-hmm. like, I just started crying. Mm-hmm. But I just remember all of, like, the, the effort that mm-hmm. we put in. Like, we were getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, riding the Amtrak train to Springfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were coming back and still had to help kids do homework and, and all of the other things we do as parents. But we put a lot of work in into passing that bill. And it's moments like that that keep you going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Marlon, thank you for walking, listening, and learning with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. That's it for this episode of Walk, Listen, Learn, Our Journey to Justice. Until next time, I'm Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton. Thank you for walking, listening, and learning with me. Let's stay on this path towards justice, equity, and opportunity for all.